Welcome to the Treat the Cause podcast with Dr. Greg Emerson, physician, professional athlete, dive instructor, yoga instructor, wilderness survival instructor, and biohacker. Combining lessons from history with medicine from the West, East, science, tradition, and spirituality to optimize health, performance, and longevity. Hi, it's Dr. Greg Emerson, and I'm back at the Harvest Cafe in Newry Bar in northern New South Wales. Found a beautiful room to do our podcasts and videos from because these gorgeous brick walls don't echo like some of the rooms I've been in before. And yes, the Treat the Cause clinic was shut down, but she lives on in a new form, an evolved form as this YouTube channel and podcast. Another lesson that sometimes we can take a crisis and come out of it as a more evolved species a more evolved structure organization so today we're going to do part two of you can't outrun the virus you have to outsmart it looking at the fifth roadblock we're going to talk to blair again about the veggie boxes that the harvest is collecting from local farmers and sending out to people who can't get out to restaurants anymore and how that's changing family dynamics people are sitting around with their family now and cooking with traditional foundational foods and then we're going to talk about Ali the what head chef at the harvest about how you can incorporate some of these foods and particularly the food we're talking about today is the foundational part of the fifth roadblock into our diets okay so let's do part two of we can't outrun the virus we have to outsmart it so what have we looked at already what did we look at in part one well we looked at the fact about what a virus was and we said that a virus is an envelope with a piece of rna or dna in it and the goal of that virus is to attach to our cells and then inject its dna and or rna into our cells we also looked at the fact that we're surrounded by trillions of viruses and viruses are never going to disappear this virus was threatening us now is not going to suddenly disappear i'm surrounded by a trillion viruses i've just been down in byron bay now swimming in the ocean full of 200,000 different species of viruses they're always going to be around we have evolved with them for four and a half billion years and we can't escape and what we're doing with social isolation is that we're flattening the curve we're minimizing the impact on our essential services of hospitals and doctors and nurses and paramedics all of those people who will be overwhelmed if everybody gets sick at once so flattening the curve reduces the spike in cases but what we can do in the meantime to help support those hard-working people is that we can make sure that we don't get sick from this virus because the bottom line is it's a virus just like the common cold virus it's from the same family we are all going to get exposed but just like any winter everybody gets exposed to the cold virus but not everybody develops a cold so we're going to look at what we can do to make sure that even if we do get exposed we don't manifest a disease from it and on the first video we did we talked about the four roadblocks we talked about the first one being vitamin d and i've just got back from the beach getting some sun it was an isolated beach nobody else was there so i was still doing the social isolation but what the vitamin d does is that it produces or it activates a protein inside macrophages and remember macrophages are the pac-man which go around and chomp up the viruses and then cathelicidin 
through vitamin D basically breaks the virus up into little pieces so that macrophage can then present the virus to other immune cells to produce antibodies so we don't get sick if we get exposed to the virus again. So roadblock number one is vitamin D from the sun to stimulate cathelicide and destruction of the virus in macrophages. Roadblock number two was vitamin A from cod liver oil because that produces a cytokeratin skeleton around our cells to stop the virus getting to the cell wall. Roadblock number three was selenium because selenium stops the virus from attaching to the receptors on the cell because the virus has to attach to the receptors and then inject its RNA and DNA. If it can't get on the receptor, it can't inject itself. And if it can't get into the cell, then it can't replicate and the cell therefore can't burst and release more virus particles, which then creates the cytochrome storm that makes us sick. Roadblock number four was iodine. What iodine does is iodine also, like selenium, stops the virus from attaching to the receptor, but it also prevents the virus from bursting out from the cell and spreading itself through our body. Interestingly, there was a workout three days ago published which showed that selenium was also required with vitamin D to activate cathelicidin and macrophages. So all these things do have multiple roles in the body. And we're going to talk a little bit about that later on when we talk about food usually being the best way to source these minerals because of the entourage effect and balance. But we'll talk about that in a second. So in summary, it was vitamin D from the sun. It was vitamin A from cod liver oil. It was selenium from Brazil nuts or seafood. And it was iodine from seaweed or as an iodine supplement. So now let's go on and talk about the fifth roadblock, which is the incredible powerful mineral zinc, which is the second most prevalent mineral in the body after iron. Now zinc has a number of different functions in the body. It's critical for growth, it's critical for skin health, it's critical for gut health, it's, it's critical for the catalytic conversion of over 200 enzymes in the body, and it's critical for immunity, particularly for viruses. So let's have a look now how zinc protects us from viruses, and then we'll have a look at the best way to get zinc. So medical research is very clear that zinc deficiency is incredibly common in populations and probably at least a quarter of the population are deficient in zinc. The research is also very clear. A deficiency in zinc profoundly increases, profoundly increases our risk of getting a viral infection. So let's have a look at how zinc protects us against viruses. The first way zinc is antiviral is it helps our macrophages recognize what a virus is. So we said that macrophages were the first line of defense. They are the marines circulating looking for a threat. When they see a virus, they consume it, which then allows the cathelicidin stimulated by the vitamin D to break that virus up into small parts. Well, a macrophage has got to recognize a virus when it sees it. And how does it do that? Zinc is a critical role, has a critical role in the macrophage recognizing that the virus is foreign as in a threat. Zinc also works similarly to selenium in that it helps stop the virus attaching itself to the cell wall. And if the virus can't attach to the cell wall, it cannot stick its freaking hypodermic needle into our cell and inject its DNA or RNA into us. 
It's also directly, the studies show, antiviral. We don't know exactly why, but zinc does seem to be able to kill viruses directly. And the fourth way that zinc helps kill viruses is that it's integral in the production of a protein complex called metallothionines. And metallothionines actually, this protein structure with zinc involved, kill viruses, but also involved in detoxification of the body as well. And we'll talk about that coming up when it comes to food sources of zinc. And finally, zinc is involved in modulating the cytokine storm. So we've talked about the fact that if we do get an infection with virus, but we're not going to, but if we did, the virus causes the cell to burst open and release all the reproduced baby viruses. And then this, uh, our bodies react with a immune response called a cytokine storm and zinc helps modulate that so that cytokine storm is not excessive. So if you're low in zinc and the viruses burst out of the cells, you're going to get a much more severe cytokine storm, that terrible viral feeling with the muscle pains and the fevers that you get during a viral illness. So zinc helps mitigate that massive cytokine storm. So if zinc is so critical, and it's very critical, it's the fifth roadblock, where should we get it from? Well, the best source of zinc by far are oysters. Oysters, let's say four or five oysters, that's 100 grams, have 60 milligrams of zinc. When you're buying a zinc supplement, most of those zinc supplements have 25, 20, 25 milligrams in a capsule. So four oysters has 60 milligrams of zinc. It's an amazing, amazing dose of zinc. It's about 800% of the recommended daily allowance of zinc. What else are oysters full of? Oysters are also got copper in them. Now, one of the problems with zinc supplements, and why I don't talk about them a lot, is that zinc supplements, zinc and copper are on a seesaw. And if your zinc goes up, your copper goes down. Now, copper can cause, high copper can cause people a lot of problems, but also low copper can, as low copper will cause immune problems. That's why the body packages minerals together in a balance. That's why oysters have got a lot of zinc, but they also have seven milligrams of copper in it. So you're not going to get that zinc copper imbalance that you might get if you're just taking a zinc supplement. That's why we should always try and get our minerals from food. Remember what we said in part one, healthy soil, healthy food, healthy people. And the food gives us two benefit. It gives us the balance. Nature packages all the minerals together in a balance that our body recognizes. So we're much less likely to get an imbalance in those minerals. And the second reason we want to get from food is what's called the entourage effect. If you take an isolated nutrient, an isolated phytonutrient, an isolated mineral, then you're not going to get the same benefit as when nature packages them with all the other phytonutrients and all the other nutrients that all needs to work properly. You're taking one thing out, you're looking for a drug effect. We're not looking for a drug effect, we're looking for a balanced entourage effect because the benefit of that is that, is that infections can work out solutions. They mutate quickly to one threat. When you're getting your medicine from food, you're giving them a multitude of threats all at once in a balanced format, which is why that's our preferred way to prevent infections. And finally, oysters are a rich source. About 90% of our RDA of vitamin D can be obtained from oysters. 
So you want to be super healthy, go down to the beach on your own, get some social isolation, eat some oysters, eat some seaweed. You're going to get huge amounts of vitamin D, you're going to get huge amounts of zinc, you're going to get huge amounts of selenium, and you're going to get huge amounts of iodine, the five roadblocks. Now, I can hear some of you saying already that you don't like eating oysters. So next, we're going to talk to Ellie, who's the head chef here at Harvest, about some ideas that can incorporate oysters tastefully into your diet. Luckily, we've just been joined by Ellie, the chef from the Harvest Cafe. He's uh, originally from Scotland, not Ireland like I originally guessed. I'm allowed to say that because my great-grandfather came from Limerick in Ireland, so I'm allowed to default to the Irish first when I haven't quite picked up the accent. So you were telling me you live in Bangalore now? Indeed, yes. Big difference to Scotland? Very warm community that we live in and it's close to work. Uh, it's beautiful to live here, you know, we're surrounded by a, a really wonderful community and for myself as a cook and as a chef, we're surrounded by amazing produce and we have a lot of face-to-face -face interactions with local farmers and, you know, farmers markets on a bi-weekly basis is a normal way of life, um, not just buying for the home but buying for the restaurant as well, so that's something that's really important to what we do at Harvest in terms of our food ethos. Great. And I really wanted to get your expertise today on oysters in particular. Yeah. Because we've just been talking about how oysters are our richest source of zinc in our diet. But I do recognise, and I'm one of them, that oysters might not be everybody's favourite food. So I want to talk to you about some ideas that you might have, how people might be able to incorporate oysters in their diet if they don't like the idea of picking up some slimy mollusk and slipping it straight into their mouth. Sure, yeah. It's a tough gig for you to win us <laughs> over, but go ahead. Uh, I mean, the, the, the most straightforward answer for someone that's struggling with oysters in the raw state is cooked. So I, when I first was introduced to oysters, I, I was probably a chef by this stage, and they are confronting for anyone that's not tried them before, you know, and, but really excited by the flavour of them, but obviously the texture can be challenging for people. So I was introduced to them in, uh, you know, very high quality restaurants in the form of uh, a lightly poached oyster. So what we would do is while shucking the oyster, we would retain the juice that comes from the oyster and then strain that off so there's no shell. And then when it was time to serve the oyster to the guest, you would warm that oyster juice drop it in and then pull it off the heat and just let it poach, you know? So then you take it out and it's got all those beautiful flavours and nutrients and but a, but a firmer texture, okay. you know? So okay. it's like there's just this little meaty piece that you have to have a go of. That works for me. Mm, definitely. Another way, something that was done quite recently at Harvest was uh, an, an oyster broth. So basically we've had uh, fish stock, you know? So from fish bones and infused it with seaweed. So we'll get some kelp from the beach put it in there so that brings nutrients and uh, some really nice umami richness to add to the flavor of the sauce and then what we would do was shuck the oysters and actually keep the oyster itself for later on and all that oyster juice is infused into the broth some lemon juice some other little bits and pieces of chefy goodness um, and then at the end we would serve a piece of fish with the oysters poached in that sauce mm -hmm. and then all that goodness and all that richness okay. and, and, and deliciousness. Well that uh, chefy goodness is a great idea because we were just talking about how 
iodine is one of the critical five roadblocks as well. And people think that seafood is high in iodine, but it's not really. Mm. Seafood is high in selenium. But the richest source of iodine now, diet, of course, is seaweed. So mm-hmm. now you've solved that problem. We were just talking about how people should go down the beach and eat some oysters and eat some seaweed. For sure. So now yeah. you've told us a good way that we can all mm-hmm. incorporate some kelp yeah. into oysters. What else can we do with oysters? Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're really struggling, get down to the pub and have some Kilpatrick's. <laughs> you're, <obviously, laughs> you're obviously slightly biased against Kilpatrick's. So. It's, not, it's not really my cup of tea. Right. Um, for doing them at home, you know, what I'm, to- I'm talking about is quite restaurant focused and quite okay. refined. Um, to, do them, to do them at home cooked on the barbecue, this also helps to shuck them for you. So if you put a whole oyster over your coals in the barbecue, Ooh. it will start to cook in its shell. So it's cooking in its own oh. juice, which is incredible and then eventually the shell will start to pop by itself and then at that stage you pull it off and you'll see you know there'll be steam just kind of oozing out of it let's give it a look the oyster shucker it's good to go okay and yeah and then you know you can throw that through you know it could be something as delicious as a raw salad or you know you could have something more more fulfilling uh like like a fish curry that we're talking about earlier you know and that kind of uh, salty umami flavor really enhances the seafood dish you know because of the natural flavor of the oyster and then it's also bringing in those nutrients as well which is is fantastic I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast once and he said that when a lot of the Irish and Scottish people arrived in New York, there was no work and they had no money sure. and they were looking for a new start. But New York appeared to be a extraordinary place to grow oysters, well they were growing naturally and yeah. a lot of New York is actually on reclaimed land from oyster mm-hmm. shell. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that you know you could go down to the banks of the river and pick up four or five oysters which was enough yeah. for a man to get through his day. On, on nutrients alone so it's been a big part of our big part of our heritage in a way particularly sure, in, the, yeah. in the United States which are the big oyster eating cultures in the world where, where are the do you know I suppose the Japanese um, must be yeah I mean listen I think it's you know oysters are a worldwide ph- phenomenon but you know coming from the United Kingdom and having what's in other countries as well um, the oyster farming practices in Australia are exemplary I've visited a number of uh, oyster farms in South Australia and in Tasmania as well and you know like so down to earth and so so organic in, in, in all the practices but uh you know the attention to detail that the oyster farmers put into it gives them a fantastic result you know and we're really lucky to connect with a number of individuals and, and procurers around this region that source the best quality oysters nationally for us so basically we look for you know the, the, the basically the best of what we can get at the right time of the year you know for and, and depending on which farm that's coming from focusing on what's nutrient dense what's full of flavor what's got a you know fantastic shelf life on it for it to travel well and reach a restaurant and get to the customers in great condition have you tried the new zealand bluff oysters yet from down there no not tried that Incredible. Yeah. That's the one that's the size of your festival. That's a real real amazing thing. I like them. It's so big. I really want to address now uh, two quick things that that people always talk to me about. And I'll talk about one in particular, the heavy metals. But talk to me a little bit about the concept that oysters are filter feeders and therefore full of toxic waste from the ocean. How how do we address that Mm. on these farming practices? 
Yeah, I think, you know, from my knowledge, that it has to be, you know, clean water that, 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 that's been. And if there's been any issues in the past, it's really kind of stemmed from uh, impatience, you know, so uh, rainfall, uh, will bring toxins that are undesirable to the okay. oyster um, through from you know the surrounding environment and they will take that on so if the farmers aren't patient enough um, for the, them to essentially be purged then then they can be a risk or you know a risk of deteriorating more quickly etc how do they purge them or do they just purge themselves when the water cleans exactly up? right yeah. you just got to wait yeah. for the water itself to clean up a little yeah, bit that's it. okay good yeah. and the other concern that I want to talk about was the heavy metals and oysters do have some heavy metal problems particularly mercury but not nearly as much as everybody thinks about mm. but here's the really interesting thing which I love because we've been talking about how nature packages things together for a reason and oysters also high in selenium and selenium is one of the ways that we detoxify heavy metals so not only you're getting you're getting your good nutrients but also you're the, the oyster is giving you a way of getting rid of the heavy metals that it gives sure. and oysters we said are also hugely high in zinc and zinc we talked about previously creates uh, metallothionines in the body and metallothionines are this main way that we get rid of heavy metals from the body so yeah we get a little bit of heavy metals perhaps from the oysters but heavy metals are ubiquitous in nature now remember but it also gives us our primary way to get rid of heavy metals from our body through natural detoxification mechanisms with the metallothionines plus all of us should be trying to get as many saunas in as we can today because we now know the massive health benefits of uh, detoxification from a sauna also a great way of getting heavy metals so you can take care of any heavy metal risk that you can get from any food by having oysters to maximize your metallothionine production getting lots of selenium and having saunas so nature once again gives us solutions for problems that might come along with it incredible incredible all right ali well thanks so much for your expertise um i hope i hope lots of people come to you guys and support you guys in the future because it's an amazing facility and you guys do the most amazing food and and i'm here as often as i can getting that lunchtime uh that that smoked slow cooked lamb and that and the lettuce that you do which i just think (laughs) is a phenomenal meal just amazing so thanks so much for your time today and thanks so much for your your cooking expertise (laughs) thanks so much cheers so now that we've talked about zinc and oysters and now that we're back in this lovely harvest cafe in Uribar, back we're back now with Blair and uh, in part one of you can't outright outrun the virus you have to outsmart it we talked about a new paradigm of food and Blair was talking about the food boxes that he's now collecting from local farmers and delivering to people. And one of the things that's going to come out of this crisis is going to change our relationship with food and it's going to change communities and homo sapiens as usual are going to adapt and survive and come out of this stronger. And Blair's leading from the front with that. So Blair, while we've got you for a couple of minutes, can just, uh, this is a... a, uh, a veggie box that we've had put together. Can you just run us through some of the things that you're putting in your veggie box? Yeah, so I guess first and foremost with the veggie boxes that we're putting together is what can we get locally? So I've been, I'm lucky enough to have a relationship with a lot of the farmers in the area because I've, you know, jumped and been living in that space with them for some time now. I know what they grow. So I've contact, first I've contacted them. Having relationships with them means that I trust them, respect the way they grow. It comes from healthy soil. So they're our first point of call. If we can't find, if we can't supply, 
from them, then the next port of call is just knowing that, knowing who they are, understanding their methodologies, and it, and there's no way that anything in this box has any any herbicide grown with herbicides or any petrochemicals. That's the big no-no, and anything above that, we we make our own discernments, judge and by judging and looking at their methodologies and, and practices. So most of the boxes are, uh, have foundational produce in there. Um, at this time and, and where we are right now, I think that's what people are looking for. They could fill it with a whole bunch of really interesting exotics because we can grow them in the subtropical region. It's something I'm really passionate about, but people don't know how to use them. So go back to basics, get your potatoes in there, your sweet potatoes, your... Uh, zucchinis, your cucumbers, your eggplant, your tomatoes, your corn, um, heads of lettuce from down the road, turmeric, garlic, ginger, mix, uh, mix the salads from Conscious Grounds down in Myokum, which are uh, super tasty, super nutritious, and that's sort of how we'll roll season to season. There'll be a whole bunch of stuff that's not available soon, but those leafy greens and those cooking greens will be coming up soon, so you'll be getting your chards and your kales. So... It's kind of educating people about what seasonal eating is because that's how we roll. It's kind of like going back to circadian rhythms but same with our, with our, where our food comes from and then being able to skill people up on how to cook seasonally. And it's really, a, it's turns out being a really beautiful cycle and a really exciting cycle. Right. Um, and once people start to understand what those, what those cycles of seasonality are, you really look forward to what your winter veg is and then other interesting things drop down throughout. And that convenience aspect of our food gets obliterated and we start to have relationship with the products that are coming in. And it's not that, it's not that expectation of I want it and I want it now. And then when you do get things that you're looking forward to eating, which might be winter crops, you really appreciate them being there and, and cooking with them because you know that, that their time will come and then the, the spring crops will come through. So for me, that's adding a lot of value and a lot of relationship to our food. So this is sort of our first offering around that and we'll build it out, we'll get better at it and we'll encourage farmers to jump in so soon. This entire box might have a you know 50, a 10 kilometre radius at the moment, probably has about a 41, 40 kilometre radius right yeah. now. Well, it doesn't matter what I teach and I teach this, doesn't matter what Western A. Price discovered in the 1920s, it doesn't matter what they found in the blue zone studies about the longest lived people around the world, there was a commonality running through all of them. And that was that food was local, it was organic, it was traditional, or as you said, foundational. Uh, it was unrefined or minimally processed, hello, straight out of the ground. And then it was seasonal. And it was also eaten around the table with people you love. And, and that's all we're going to find that come out of this crisis. We're going to go back, because we're going to be forced to, to much more traditional, foundational eating habits. You know, we're going to sit around the table and prepare our unrefined food, which is local and seasonal. And hopefully with people like you leading the way, that this, not only are we going to, to move forward into better eating habits, we're going to start to better support the local farmers and people like you who are going to great lengths to try and get us through this crisis as usual as homo sapiens come out better on the other side sure is man it's there's parts of it which are so exciting like my kids aren't at school at the moment as an example but they're now part of the cooking regime at home and it's so wonderful and i, I i'm looking at other families and other people that maybe that's not how they 
normally work, but that's where they're going. And they're going to sit and look each other in the eyes every night and connect. And that's the beauty of what the life experience really is. And suddenly our values change and we have a reset about what's really important to us. So thank you for bringing this in.